0: Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Audra Simons and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Audra Simons. Good morning. Good morning. How are you?
1: I'm very good. It's a beautiful day.
0: Isn't it though? Well, I'm I'm jealous of where our guest is. I'm going to introduce him in a moment, but uh, here I am in Texas, sweltering heat, and, and our guest said he forgot a jacket in his location and is going to have to go get one. I am jealous, 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 but so excited to welcome to the podcast, Chad McDonald. He's Chief of Staff and CISO at Radiant Logic. He's been in cybersecurity, like about what, 25 plus years, Chad, Um, building and managing information security programs. I am so excited for today's conversation.
2: Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I did forget my jacket in in brisk wine country here in Northern California, Nevada, California. So it's whopping 60 degrees
0: today. So hey. jealous, yeah. <laughs> For once, the UK is
1: warmer than California. <laughs>
0: no. So, so jealous. So I, I we were talking a little bit before we, we got on, and I have not actually heard this wonderful term that you've kind of been talking about, um, the cybersecurity poverty line. And I, I think this is something that maybe, was it Wendy Nather, Nather, uh, coined a while ago, which I, I find interesting that I haven't really heard anybody talking about this particular topic. And I, I'd love if you could share more about what this is, Chad, with our listeners.
2: Sure, sure. And, and the example I use when I, when I typically uh, talk about the, the cybersecurity poverty line is uh, for a number of years, I did consulting for organizations large and small, and I had the opportunity to work on building a security strategy for, I think it was like a $20 billion merger between two you know tech titans. Right. Uh, that we've all heard of, um, you know, unlimited budget, unlimited resources, unlimited staff. So I could help build a strategy that was effectively militarized, right? Uh, it, it was, it was secured to the nth degree. Um, a number of months later, I found myself building uh, a first time security strategy for an organization that had about 10 employees. They're well-funded, but they had about 10 employees. Um, And as I started putting together sort of a product or tech stack to help them build a a reasonably robust program, what I found, uh, it's obvious in retrospect, the problems that that small organization had really effectively mirrored the problems of the multi-billion dollar organization. Same problems. The challenge is finding products and finding products that you can afford, finding products that, frankly, beyond, let's say you can afford it, manage uh, and that, that fit the business model and the scale and scope of much smaller organization. That, that doesn't necessarily always mean a 10 person organization. I'm at a roughly 200 person organization right now. And I have the same kind of challenge. I have what I call um, grown up problems, but a high school budget. And <laughs> it's sometimes a challenge to, to eat both resource and buy tooling uh, to, to solve some of the same problems. Like for me to implement zero trust here is incredibly challenging because of the tech stack I have to build out. Um, not that we don't have the will or the need or anything like that, but finding things that, that fill the gaps with a much more limited scope of budget. So is it, right? so
1: it's budget related than the poverty angle.
2: Well, it's budget and resources. I, I sort of tie those together because both ultimately fall back into the budget space, right. whether it's it's buying a, a tangible tool or resources to run that tool, right. or someone to even build the strategy, that becomes sort of the challenge for uh, those sort of below that that poverty line. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
0: That's. Um, I. It's interesting you talk about this. There was uh, an Accenture report. I think they said forty three percent of cyber attacks target these small organizations, but only fourteen percent have the capabilities to protect themselves. And I don't exactly. know. Do do these organizations kind of think about themselves in terms of this interconnectedness, because at the end of the day, we're not all just individual companies, right? We're all part of an ecosystem. And when one of right. those pieces fail, I think there was an auto manufacturer that had to shut down the entire production plant because there was a potential breach at a small component parts company. So maybe it's a seven cent part, you know, for $80,000 car, but it shuts whole, down the whole production. And, and I don't know if people are really thinking about it in that way. Uh,
2: in my experience, no, and this this again is not something specific to my organization. Right. Now, it's from from what I've seen with with consulting, it doesn't become real for some of these smaller organizations until there's a contractual obligation. Uh, so, okay. in today's world, I typically see this. I call it government flow downs. If I'm doing a big deal with a Pubsec, you know, or DoD type organization, they have a whole list of contractual obligations I have to secure their data to secure my organization to do code testing, all kind of, all the things, right? Um, are, are those things that I would necessarily sign up to do if I didn't have those contractual obligations? For most of these smaller organizations, probably not, right? right? Okay. Uh, you have to spend your your security dollars, as limited as they are, in alignment with your business. And for a lot of these organizations, that's just, you know, not there.
1: Right. Okay, so, so considering the fact that, smaller organizations aren't going to have the same budgets as larger enterprises. What kind of steps or preventative measures can these smaller organizations take to avoid falling below the cyber poverty line?
2: Uh, First off, think. uh, Align your security strategy with your business model. If you you don't have extensive SaaS programs or you're not holding a lot of customer data, then perhaps don't spend all your dollars on things that are more aligned with that, SOC 2 compliance or whatever. Um, Second, training, 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 more training, training is and will always be uh, the the best dollar you can spend. And that's not just training for your your security and IT staff, that's training for the company as a whole, and frankly, your executives. Uh, A lot of the attacks we're seeing today just take advantage of Users being tricked. I mean, it's where spam and phishing and all of this stuff really has, has taken hold. It's a mathematical, not not if, but when you get popped or hacked. Uh, and a lot of it just comes back to the, the mass of, you know, influx of attacks coming through that. So the better you train your staff and that's relatively cheap spend, the better off you're going to be in the long run. You know, the see something, say something right. mentality mm. has really got to be embedded in the
1: organization. The only, the only challenge is that in training people, it takes them a while to actually implement what you have trained them on. And quite often it's a problem of they don't really learn until either they click on the wrong link or someone else does and then that sort of thing gets round. So it's training's always sure. I don't disagree because I think training's essential, but it's more having that as, as we were talking before we we joined on the podcast, um, I'm probably more paranoid than your average user. <laughs>
2: I'm right there with you. (laughs) So, yeah, I I agree with you. Um, And I think that's probably one of my biggest frustrations with sort of commercially purchased training programs that you see today um, is, you know, ultimately, if I'm a a line worker or an individual contributor and I come in and I'm required to go through, you know, this training class, who cares if, you know, it's the company's going to get hurt, not me. Um, I've always had more luck training folks um, and making it apply to their personal lives. Mm-hmm. Like let's talk in terms of your bank account and your credit card and, you know, making sure your kids are safer online and your, your, your mom's computer is secured appropriately terms that matter and that are tangible and they can take back home. They typically apply in the office, but I don't see that Great. transition that that applicability in sort of commercially purchased programs today.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So in terms of how can organizations work out where they sit? So especially if you're talking the smaller ones who have smaller budgets, what sort of, I don't know, key performance indicators or other measurements couldn't they use to actually work out their standing, like where they sit kind of on the poverty line, so to speak?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um... And again, there are benchmarks out there for what your spend should look like, but I always take those with a grain of salt because it varies widely from organization to organization, size, and frankly, your your business model. Uh, As far as understanding where you are, there are boatloads of security strategy assessment tools out there. Uh, There are frankly some that you can buy. Um, I I will not go online and say which company I used to work for that offers a very, very robust one. Um, But there is an MSP out there that provides a very good security strategy program and a three-year timeline to sort of help you step into that. But understanding, one, with any of the reference frameworks out there, whether it's a NIST framework or whatever, um, doing a valid, honest, very honest assessment versus that standard of where you are is a good first step. Uh, You may learn that you don't need to comply with all of it. Some of it's not relevant to you, right. some of it is probably more draconian than you need to be for your organization, but it does give you a barometer for what is sort of the, the top end right. of that security program should look like, and you decide, again, where you should be on that. Uh, the, the, one of the challenges that I see with a lot of first-time or, or newish uh, security leaders is an assumption that you need to be on the far right of that scale. Right. You need to be a five and everything, Right. Uh, and that's not real. Right. I mean, if, if you start looking at how security is effectively taught and some of the, you know, ways that you really understand what risk management looks like, it is risk management. You decide what appetite your organization has and can afford. And Maybe your organization needs to be somewhere in the middle, a three. Uh, but you do have a real opportunity to overspend in the security space. And that is, a, uh, that is a failing of a lot of, of newish uh, security leaders uh, getting into the space.
1: Because we we do look at things where sometimes we are in conversation with potential customers and they're stating they need something or a particular use case. And so you're kind of going, is that ever really going to happen? Do you actually really need to spend your money on that? And they're like, well, we're quite risk averse, so we just want everything. But those are large enterprises who have the budget to spend. I still, though, am, am anti selling people things that they won't use. <laughs> I, I
2: agree with you. And the other piece of that that I see from the vendor space is auditors uh, saying, you know, they're looking, just running down the checklist. Half the things in the checklist aren't applicable to the service you provide or the business model or whatever, but they've got to get the green check mark there. Um, a, a funny story uh, that I have from a prior life is I worked for an organization that made web application firewalls. Uh, which is what at the time you could get a check on your, your your PCI compliance if you had a web application firewall so we literally had an organization buy one put it in their data center interact plug it in it blinked green lights but it wasn't running it wasn't doing anything <laughs> nice. so when the auditor came and said do you have a WAF we absolutely <laughs> do
1: <laughs> <Shit mark>. excellent <laughs> excellent so excellent. in in kind of continuing around so, once I once a business knows where they stand on the cybersecurity kind of levels, so they've they've looked at what they're doing. Um, one thing you talked about in one of your articles was the biggest like security risk is stagnation. Right. So once people decide where they are and kind of do some things, what can they do to kind of stay in motion? Because I don't security is always changing. The attacks yeah. are always changing. What can they do to kind of stay on the wave
2: that's that's the assumption that and frankly this becomes an executive level and a board level challenge uh, you know i've had a number of conversations with boards where you get you know some one-time funding you either post breach exactly. or post new or you're getting a new product out there and you want to do a big spend to get this thing secure well the assumption is that's a one-time thing and it's not real right it's that's a false assumption As you mentioned, uh, Audra, the security security world's changing minute by minute. Uh, The the attacks of today are nothing compared to the attacks of tomorrow. And I think we're gonna see that escalate with things like AI, obviously, right? Um, The the whole threat landscape is just constantly evolving. The assumption that I can secure for today and not reevaluate pretty consistently my security program uh, is wildly mistaken uh, idea, right? There needs to be a pretty rigorous, uh, at least annual. And if we're going to put a time limit on it, at least annual reassessment of the security program, and frankly, the security strategy. Um, that includes everything from uh, you know understanding the threat landscape for your organization, what what threats are relevant to you, what are not. This can go both right. ways. Uh, reassessing your sort of baseline for security posture versus sort of what threats are real to you, and. You know, realigning the strategy. I mean, you, our organizations do this with their business all the time, with their oh, yeah. products all the yeah. time. Failure to do that on the security side is just incredibly short sighted.
1: So, one of the big challenges, though, for these organizations, especially smaller organizations, is justifying that the money is spent on cybersecurity rather than on something else. Right. What kind of justifications? Could you give suggestions on that actually would help people when they're thinking about this?
2: So is is the question how to justify security spend versus spend on IT
1: or product Yeah, or, exactly. Because that's always your you're always out there right. fighting for dollars. Right. Sure.
2: And honestly the answer to that's going to vary by business. I always try to align the security program with the business strategy. If like we're we're we have a SaaS product. now. Right. So I am aligning my security spend to, to really pivot to support, you know, uh, protecting customer data in our infrastructure that, that manages the SAS program. Organizations have to realign periodically as far as that goes. Right. And, you know, understanding sort of where you sit versus your business, uh, <laughs> frankly, is paramount to success and failure uh, for the whole program. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's it's interesting you say that, Chad, because it's uh, so much you hear today is, you know, cybersecurity is the cost of doing business. And I can't imagine if you're a smaller organization, you know, kind of thinking what the, the future ahead looks like, uh, competitive advantage. I mean, I, all, all of these things, I suspect security plays a really key role in that. And, and I don't know that a lot of organizations are really thinking that way either.
2: Well, I think – one thing that I've sort of seen in the last, I don't know, 18 months uh, that really makes this quantifiable and tangible is the cost of cybersecurity insurance.
1: Mm, yes. Yeah, that's a reasonable point. Definitely.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and, and frankly, the way the reason that you see your rates skyrocketing is because the cost of a breach, breach response, is skyrocketing. More breaches, the cost of response is ridiculous. Any organization that's ever been through a material security breach I'm wholeheartedly believing is going to readjust their security spend to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um,
1: Absolutely.
2: You know, I've, I've consulted with a number of organizations really in the last 12 months saying, how do I drive down my spend? I've worked with, you know, three or four different uh, cyber insurers to help sort of help my customers build out programs that are more aligned with what cyber insurers need so they can you know, mm-hmm. ideally reduce rates and, and manage that risk in a different way. But the reality is the, the minute you have a breach, particularly a breach that affects customer data. No different than a car accident. Once you have an at-fault accident, your rates are going to go through the roof. So, you know, it's really a proactive stance at defending your budget by appropriate security spending.
1: Absolutely. That's really good. So in terms of perhaps cost-effective ways that people can actually approach this, there's a lot of conversation around zero trust security and kind of everything becoming a sassy model and, you know, that side of things. Um, Are you using it yourself? Zero trust?
2: (laughs) Yes. Absolutely not. Uh, I, I honestly have yet to see an organization that I would consider, give them the big green check mark for having zero plus fully deployed. I've seen pockets of deployment. Uh, for very tightly scoped systems, and that's frankly more in the, I'll say, PubSec space than, than anywhere else or maybe some highly regulated industries. But for most organizations right now, it's a pipe dream. Mm. Um, and I, I think there's so much market spin on what what is zero trust. Right. Honestly, it varies by <laughs> organization. So uh, saying that you have zero trust, it may not mean the same thing to me as it does to you. Right. So, you know, again... I think it's a little bit of marketing spin uh, on, on that whole thing. No offense to the marketers uh, that may be listening <laughs> today. Uh, I think it's a wonderful idea. I think it's a, a valuable strategy to listen to, but, um, you know, I, I'm not using it. And I think precious few are far enough down the path to say they, they have a control, a handle on that.
0: Yeah, it is used on, a lot, though, to your point. I mean, it's it's uh, I, I was talking to the folks at RSA uh, last year. And, you know, like what kind of proposed talks you might want to have. And they're like, please not zero trust. Please not zero trust. (laughs) Because it's like wallpaper, they said. I mean, it's just batted about so much. It's almost, what does it even mean anymore, to your point? It's become
2: meaningless. You know, it's like if everything's an emergency, nothing is. Well, if everything's zero trust, nothing is. You know, there you go.
1: That's right. Um, The the next big buzzword is AI. AI. Yes.
0: yes. And it's true AI, right, Audra?
1: True AI. Absolutely.
2: Uh, that, that gets you an extra comma, in your valuation is having AI,
0: right? Hilarious. So, I mean, where do you see AI playing in this in this realm, Chad? I mean, I think so many organizations are feeling pressure that they have to get on ChatGPT and and do all of these things. And I, I think no one really knows kind of how to move forward, though. I mean, what's the security concern? You know, how do we protect data? But it has to train on data, and and all these things. I mean, how does anybody navigate? forward with, with this looming so
2: you know it's an interesting conversation and frankly one that I've had pretty recently um, with our, our chief product officer here is actually uh, defending his PhD thesis here in just a couple of weeks and specializations on AI to increase organizational effectiveness so we were, we were batting around security and AI as just a you know informal discussion topic um, and I wrote our first ever AI security policy last two oh, weeks wow. right two weeks ago um, because of concerns about, you know, our engineering team or exactly. frankly just people dumping things in there and it, you know, IP gets exposed or potentially customer data gets exposed. So we really put some controls around that. And that's actually a risk with this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, inadvertent because uh, inadvertent exposure, right. uh, leveraging AI, which is not really any different than, you know, inadvertent email of, I guess, IP as far mm-hmm. as that goes, but it's AI is still relatively unknown outside of a very specialized group of people. And so the exposures that are gonna come out of that, I think we're gonna see some pretty scary things uh, as far as somebody oopsed up and uh, put right. something in, I don't know, ChatGPT and it learned their secret sauce and now it's communicating their secret sauce <laughs> with everyone else. I think there's a large opportunity for that and I think we're gonna see some things that you know come out of that that are not exactly great. Um, that said, the flip side of that, I do think that as AI matures and as our use of AI in intelligent ways matures, there is a great opportunity to leverage automation and AI to frankly reduce the cybersecurity gap between sort of the, the multi-billion-dollar organizations and the, you know, 200 person organizations. Um it's all around leveraging your resources in the most efficient and automated way, right? Large, there, there's always large sets of data with with any of these organizations, yeah. and that's really what AI is based on: is gathering these data and making inferences around uh, you know, the data. Um, so whether it's looking for anomalous behavior or overprivileged accounts or whatever the case may be, there's a lots of op- there there are lots of opportunities I think for AI to be of great benefit to those folks that we may say fall below the poverty line right now. I think we've got to get over the hump of maturing, I guess, everyone with with how to safely and and securely use AI. Uh, But once we get past that and get a little more maturity under our belt there, I think there's some great opportunities there. Now, we want to put on the bad guy hat that, that, you know, we flip the coin around every time you have a great technological investment for good, someone figures out, full selects Lutheran and figures how to use it for evil, evil, right? Exactly. So we have that opportunity as well. And I think, I really don't know how that plays out because that could get really ugly really quick, uh, particularly with, you know, leveraging AI in the cloud and you have sort of unlimited scale on your capabilities with sort of the AI compute pieces. Um, it's going to be interesting. And I think you're going to see nation states probably leverage AI in ways that we haven't really prepared for yet.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. My friend used it to, um, you know, I think it deep fakes and how easy it is. He used it to make some photographs and they were wonderful <laughs> photographs. <laughs> and you'd never know. I mean, you know, you'd never know. It was it was crazy. And he right. showed me what he had done himself, which was terrible. And then, of course, the chat GPT version was beautiful. And Sure. Yeah.
2: I mean, the, just the simple examples I've seen today are like, you know, using AI to write a worm or code right. or something yeah. like that that defeats this one thing. I mean, that's effectively what we've been doing just manually for the last twenty years. Is you know, uh, hackers are are learning how to exploit some library or some piece of code or some website. Exactly. Well, you put the power of AI at scale behind that, and you know, it's not if but when, that's right? right?
1: And, and there are the sides of that people are generating new AI tools all the time in much more focused specialist areas. So beyond just being able to write a good report and things like that, whether there's an effect in it or not is something else, um, as we've seen in some of the articles in the press. Um, but they're convincing, it's verbally convincing. It's whether or not there are tools that will come along that enable you to do that with code, or tools that will come along, which of course there will be, because it's the internet, and we always use the internet for interesting things. Um, there'll be ones, I'm sure, that are brought out, like what kind of malware would you like to do? You know, What kind of characteristics would you like to have? Because if you just take the code from multiple different types of malware... And then just bring it in and create something new. Not that I'm trying to give anyone any ideas. <laughs> I mean, the, the things that
2: concern me are like, uh, you know, passwordless authentication where it understands, you know, how you type. Uh, oh, yeah. The cadence you type. And it's like that's prime for AI. Like
1: Absolutely. That, there's
2: no way that stands long term in my mind. Uh, things like voice authentication with deep fakes, as, as Rachel's mentioning, the ability to clone your voice, Audra, and, and make oh, you say it, things. It's so different. easy
1: now. Because they're, they're, they're different, the I, having an innovation background, um, have had a play with things like um, one that was called Lira Bird, and things like that. All you need is a short snippet of about 30 seconds to two minutes of someone's voice and then you just type it and that auto-generated voice will read what you have typed. It's, so say a podcast
2: might be the perfect way. Well, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Yikes. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. Wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> Things
2: that keep you up at night. There you
1: go. Make a Excellent. note of that. <laughs> so should we jump away from AI?
0: We can. We can. I, I know. I, yeah. I, I tend to meander over it that way. But um, That's all right. there's still so much more to talk about. And you had a really good topic that you wanted to explore a little bit further as well, Audra, as I recall.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so what I wanted to talk about, um, because... As I said, I'm a bit more of a paranoid user than most. And um, even in my personal life, I've kind of tried to keep my identity to myself and I haven't given it up for convenience or not very often. So, um, But one of the things that really kind of rung a bell in, in saying that was um, there was another article that um, I read of yours that talked about identity sprawl within organizations. And I've always been very keen as a consumer to know what my footprint is out there on the internet. And um, I think people don't think about it from a work perspective or an organizational perspective. So could you explain a bit more kind of around kind of identity 1st security and that whole kind of what you mean by identity sprawl? Sure,
2: sure. So I'm going to take you back 25 years to when I was much less gray and much more young. Um, and you could effectively contain your IT sprawl, your IT you know, exposure uh, by the size of your data center. What was living on a physical server, living in a room at a network cable plugged into it? Because, you know, when I started this thing, Wi-Fi wasn't even a thing, right? Um, We have evolved, obviously, much, much past that. And now any organization, any person in an organization can take a credit card, buy a SaaS system, use it for work that may be approved, that may may not be approved. But effectively, there's an opportunity for, anybody to go and buy a service online and start using it. And so we, we, you know, we have accepted it sprawl as sort of a real thing uh, for, for a number of years. Right. Uh, But what we haven't really thought past is the expansion of those it systems is the identities that live on those systems, whether it's just purely for authentication or those systems are now, you know, holding identity or, or frankly, any other data uh, for customers or staff or contractors or whatever. They're everywhere from HR systems to development systems to things like Slack. The assumption is you toss SSO in front of it and, you know, magically the identities go away. And, you know, that's not a reality for most organizations. I, I Very few organizations um, and, you know, Radiant Logic's been around for 22 years and we're still seeing organizations that don't have sort of a good handle on all of their identities. Um, There are a lot of products out there in the space, in in the world that, that, you know, the the marketing spin is you, you drop it in front of your IT suite and your identity problems go away. But when you start digging into it, those systems don't connect to mainframes. They don't connect to databases. They don't connect to, you know, a whole host of other things. And so you're left with pockets of identities just living everywhere. And when you start introducing sort of individuality these pocketed systems the ability to manage those systems sort of grows exponentially right and you know there it's hard enough to manage identity if you have everything sort of aggregated in a single unified sort of you know process to follow when you start having pockets you know tens or hundreds or even thousands of these identity systems across your organization just floating around the possibility for you to manage all that stuff effectively, the join-or-move-reliever program or problem, goes away. It, it's, it's not sustainable. And so this is how you have you know, sort of third-party exposure for some of these bigger organizations. They have vendors who have their own IT sprawl and own identity sprawl, and you know, it's not controlled, and so it ends up introducing a vulnerability into you know, another organization or, or the vendor themselves. Um, you know, it's time and time again you see this kind of right. stuff. And, and frankly, uh, something like three quarters of all security breaches uh, have an identity component in that breach, whether it's yeah. privilege escalation yeah, right. or privilege misuse or, or whatever, compromise. Pre- identity's in there. It's it's step zero to any security program is really getting a handle on identity. And the biggest piece of that is is identity sprawl. You know, the better you're able to manage that challenge, the better off you're going to be
1: excellent so as we're on there um, how can people actually manage this how do you actually stop like because we can't shoehorn everything behind the octas of the world and things like that yeah. so you know with your single sign-on and that sort of thing how how can organizations have some level of control on this is it is it town planning when you bring in new or you know applications or what because like we're bringing on new Applications to use for work all the time? So, uh, again, it's
2: controlling the process. It's about risk management, um, effectively understanding what bringing on a new application means for your organization. And it's, it is a bit of a bottleneck for, for a lot of organizations because it requires sort of risk assessment of the product, how it's going to be used, what data it's going to store. But that's a necessary component for any program anyway. <laughs> so evaluating what risk the, the new application means for the organization and frankly baking it into your identity management process. Even if it's going to be a disconnected system, not running through your normal sort of identity management channels, building it into your system so that your uh, onboarding and offboarding process accounts for this additional external identity right. system. Also have to do sort of the the attestations and things like that to make sure the privileges are appropriate. It's an additional layer of work. It becomes incredibly manual for a lot of organizations. But if you want this additional application and it's going to provide value, you really need to understand how you're going to control security around that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that conversation around risk management for lots of little identity systems really helps an organization sort of understand what identity sprawl looks like and rethink whether we really need this application or, you know, maybe we need this an, an, a different application and we put it behind sort of our identity management program it really forces some conversations that probably don't normally happen.
0: Yeah. That's a bummer, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, we just, uh,
0: you know, you just want to throw up Slack or a little chat GPT action and just get going on stuff and, yeah. Well,
2: it's, it's, I mean, it, there's value in the applications, but I think organizations really need to think about right. does the value outweigh the risk? Mm. Um, it, for a lot of a these applications, yeah. it does. But if you're not evaluating the applications, then you're not doing risk management, right. which is the whole reason we're here in the first place, right?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think of all those factions, and marketing's the worst offender, let's be honest. Uh, I
1: don't you know. know. I I run teams of engineers. Come on. <laughs>
0: Good point, Audra. Good point. Yeah, and Still it's feel a cage match going on between Mark. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so true. I mean, it's uh you know I don't know how many identity alert things because all the breaches that have happened you know over the years you get like free identity monitoring, and the last one I got was just showing like all the places in those free like Spokeo or whatever the online get this person's personal information for free or something and just how many where I'm showing up. And it's, it's a little unsettling and, you know, with your work email address and you you forget all the things that you just sign up for, um, you know, and, and everything else and where, where all that information goes over time.
2: I mean, not to pivot back to AI, but AI is primed to actually scrape all of the different, you know, little pieces of identity data or entitlements that you may have across, frankly, the whole internet and, you know, identity aggregation, you know, it's sort of step one for a lot of attacks, right? Um, let's go and see what we can find out uh, about Audra, you know, just doing a chat, deep GPT sort exactly. of function and, and scrape everything. Um, probably some That's stuff right. you didn't so know I'm about yourself.
0: When we hang up this right. call. I think we should because
1: I'm really boring. It could make me more interesting. So I mean I'm, I'm gonna look gonna get up, super general
0: creating separate
2: personas to use online just so I, I don't, you know, inadvertently expose my personal details anywhere. So seventeen different email yeah. accounts depending on if it's a streaming service or retail service or you know.
1: Wow. Uh, just hey. That's genius. Genius. But that's that's a much better way of doing things. And so years ago when I first joined Forcepoint, I was running the innovation labs. And one of the prototypes we did early on was actually looking at um, businesses and their footprint and the, the people who worked for them, their identity footprint that you could see on the internet. And the thing that gets really scary is when you start realizing that there are loads of people using their work... Addresses on the dark web, and that was that was a little bit of a shock. I was like, "What?" <laughs> like, you'd, you'd figure you could come up with an alternative address to your own work email.
0: It's hilarious.
2: So, yeah, that's like a Tuesday. I see that a lot. It's alarming, but you know. <laughs> uh, this is like, that's just normal, staff, right? That's, that's like a Tuesday morning, nine fifteen kind of event. Now it's just
1: nice. Excellent. Again, it points back
2: to step one, enable your staff, do a lot of training, say this is a bad idea. And here's why. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now. And so I, I saw an uh, article this morning, I think it was in fast company. I'll be interested in your perspective on this. Cause you, you hear a lot about return to office and, you know, people want to come back or, you know, whatever that might be. And I guess there was uh, research from a the Farmer School of Business at Miami University um, suggests the real dangers lurk within the office itself. Uh, and basically office workers get complacent thinking the security team has everything covered uh, versus saying remote workers now are more vigilant and how they handle security. And it's almost like a flip-flopping of the narrative. I, what, what's your perspective on, on that there? Uh, should we even bother with training the in-office people if they're going to no, ignore it I anyway? Think
2: training, is, is, uh, training is still <laughs> going to be number one on my list, regardless of, of security, strategy, yeah. organization, business model. Training is number one. The, the return to office versus remote worker thing, I think, frankly, it's easier well, I'd like to say it's easier to just do mobile device management on a remote worker's endpoint, assuming they're using a corporate sort of device, or maybe not, uh, and, and just control what can happen with that. The, the, the folks in the office, and this is not really a new thing, there's an assumption, you, know, you drop something in your data center, frankly, drop something in your office, and it's automatically secured by perimeter firewall and you know, web application firewall, IPS, IDS, all the things, right? And so you don't really have to worry about locking down that device. And, you know, we, we've, we organizations have been bitten by that sort of assumption for, for decades now. And I don't think this article you mentioned is really anything new. I think we're looking at it with different mm-hmm. eyes now because of the remote versus gotcha. uh, office thing. But that complacency's really always been there. Um,
0: right. I don't think it's anything new. Yeah. I, I will say when I was in the office, I, I felt like we talked about it more, you know, that's Oh, there's this thing happening. If you get it, make sure you don't click on it, you know, send it to IT or whatever. Um, And I do miss that because I did learn a lot of things to look out for as well. So I just thought it was an interesting study. It kind of surprised me a little bit, actually. Um, But, you know, I I enjoy training it. You know, Forcepoint has some fun security awareness training out and, uh, (laughs) you know, infusing a little bit of humor to your point, like bringing it home, making it more personal and and then, you know, you kind of like, oh, I get it. I get it. So,
2: um, so I it's, it it's was, wonderful the, when those you,
0: resources are out there.
2: I mean, the, the thing about security awareness training and, and you know, this topic in particular um, years ago, but security awareness month is like October, which, you know, obviously coincides with Halloween. Someone had like free posters that have like the really old movie monsters and things. I always love those <laughs> One because I'm a nerd, but two because people would stop and look at yeah. them. And they always had nice little tidbits of right. things on it. Was it wasn't just the boring, you know, rote sort of here's a poster, close your laptop when you're, you know, whatever. Um, but people would look at it and they would take it away. And the resources are out there. I think organizations just need to look. Yeah. And it, like I said, it's, it's a trivial spend, if a spend at all going to cost you some ink and paper to put up a poster and you know the training resources are uh, you know they're free effectively uh, i won't even call it a rounding error budget, budget dust is what I'd probably more appropriate for for most organizations dust.
0: all kinds of new terms chad thank you for that one.
1: exactly <laughs> i like that one. i will use that I'm,
0: I'm writing it down yeah <laughs> Budget dust, budget dust, budget dust, yeah. I done. Yes. <laughs> so um, I, I know we're coming up on time, and I, I do want to be mindful. Um, you know, what, one of my favorite questions to ask folks, and I know this is completely out of the blue, but what are you reading right now? I'm, I'm in between books, both fun and for work, and I'm always curious what other people are reading.
2: Uh, I'm reading a Stephen King book right now, and I can't remember the title of me. It's a date, but I don't remember the date. Um, Eleven. Those 20- are always good. Yeah, they're good. Uh, professionally, a I'm reading books about it. No, it's older. It's about a guy that goes oh, back okay. in time through like a restaurant lobby or something like that. Um, but I just started that one. Oh, cool. You know, professionally, I'm reading a lot of books on discipline right now to sort of round out uh, building out some strategy work that, that our organization's working on. And uh, looking at organizational discipline as sort of a a risk, right? Um, Learning when to say no. Um, Rigorous defensive strategy.
1: It's very useful. Yes. It's It's helped my career massively. Discipline, that is? (laughs) I can deliver things. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Wonderful. Yeah, that's
0: all right. Well, did you have any other questions, Audra, parting thoughts?
1: No, I just like your use of language around yes. kind of the whole, you know, cyber poverty. I actually think businesses need to think about that and that they need to realize that the whole kind of cyber journey is a journey. It's not just a stop with an investment and then right. you go, ah, oh, it's done, next. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And, the, yeah. you know, that's the that's longstanding gap. It always has been. And I think the, the more we as people in this field and security leaders sort of keep harping on, you know, journey versus destination, maybe it's going to click one day. Um, I, I do feel like I'm yeah. seeing tides turn yeah. in that regard. And I think things like SOC 2 with you know, regular assessments and, and some of the other certification, FedRAMP, the things with the annual assessments at a very, very deep level are helping sort of turn the battleship mm-hmm. on that. Uh, But, you know, it's still out there that this is not a one and done. Well, well, it's great
0: to have conversations like this to remind folks, you know, kind of 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 what they should be thinking about and what's important, Chad, because I I think too often we get in a hurry, you know, and we're just Mm -hmm. always rushing to catch up. And it's hard to take a step back and just I don't know why I'm doing this thing anymore. Let's do is this actually helping the business or maybe we should look at it in a different way. So. I think these are very valuable conversations for our listeners. Thank you very much for your time today. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, thank you, Chad. Wow. This has been great.
0: Awesome, and to all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, always the best guests, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna recap all of our fun things that we learned: cyber poverty line stagnation budget dust all thank you to chad mcdonald's <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like fairy dust but it's budget you just get the budget dust
0: exactly i <laughs> Do a love lot it
1: with that <laughs> i love
0: learning something new every single day um and and don't forget to subscribe you get this episode right in your email inbox every tuesday Conversations. Uh, so until next time, be safe. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher.